Welcome to the Numerologist Podcast, where we bring you a very special guest every single week to help guide you on your spiritual journey, live with abundance, and inspire your soul. Hey, Numerologist community, welcome back to another episode of the Numerologist Podcast with me, Rose. Now, today I'm talking with Brendan Jurel. He's a former professional athlete turned life aficionado. It brings him joy to gently nudge people with laughter and inspiration so they can understand Nirvana lives in every moment of breath. Brendan is is a dedicated cacao and breathwork ceremonialist and an avid white tantric student. His motto is peace is the ultimate pleasure. And with that amazing introduction, hey, Brendan, how are you? I'm doing well, Rose. Thank you for having me on here. I'm really excited to be a part of the numerologist community. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Now, we'll get to the whole um, cacao and breathwork ceremonial side of things in a, in a bit, because that sounds super interesting, and I definitely want to discuss that. Um, but before we get there, could you just um, tell our community who you are um, and what you do? Yes. Uh, first off, hello, everybody. Um, my name is Brennan Dorellas. Rose said, um, thank you for having me and uh, who I am. That's a loaded question. (laughs) Um, What I am right now, it's uh, I'm a man supporting other men, supporting women via just understanding that we all can attain peace and pleasure in every moment. And um, depending on the situation that's thrown at us, because life does do that, we get we have a choice whether we subscribe to it or we don't subscribe to it. And um, that's pretty much who I am and what I, I do right now. But, um, but all in all, I'm from New Jersey in the States. <laughs> I'm a former professional athlete. Um, and now I'm just, uh, just living my life and, and enjoying every moment as I can. So Brendan, I'm really interested to see how you went from professional athlete to where you are now, because that could be seen as quite a big jump. So what's the story? How did you get there? Yeah, um, I always had this heart of like, let's say, adventure, staring at the moon. I always had these kind of things. I grew up in inner city, um, New York, New Jersey. Um, and even at a young age, full moons, Egyptian culture, different things always intrigued me. And that was always in me. I just wanted to see that in there because that's been me. Um, as I became an adult and I went to uni far away from home. I um, played professional baseball. And then after I played international baseball and I was able to travel to different cultures and different places. And I just began seeing how we're all the same in so many different ways, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And um, it just intrigued me more and more to be like, wow, like, like heart work, heart work, heart work, love on people, let them love on you. And I went from being in sports, um, brotherhood, uh, locker room talk, all these things, but having a community, um, even if it was around the sport, to um, wanting to build that in my life around mindfulness, around um, support, accountability, and underlining love. Yeah, that that's pretty beautiful. Um, so I, I think it's interesting that you've gone from that team environment to creating your own kind of tribe and team which is super cool and I I do want to talk a bit about 
um, how you work with men, because we've discussed this before the call, but I really think men are so underrepresented in the world of spirituality. Um, and you um, have sort of a sacred masculinity, I think it's called um, course or session. Could you tell us a bit more about that and why you chose to sort of help men into this um, sort of world? Yeah, first and foremost, I chose to help men because I am a man in this life. And I was like, well, I want to hang out somewhere too. <laughs> so let me, let me create these spaces. Um, but yeah, you're right. Where a lot of us are underrepresented in a lot of these spaces, healing spaces, um, personal development, spirituality spaces, uh, for many reasons. And the ones that I like to go into and think about and talk about are um, the emotional aspects of it. Why culturally? why men aren't, let's say, in this work, why it isn't trending as much as it is with women in this space. And we can see in culture with um, emotional vulnerability isn't sexy in the men's, in the men's community. Being, being messy, um, seeing tears come down, um, letting loose, trust falling emotionally. These aren't like cool things, you know? These aren't quote unquote macho things. So, um, and I say this because that's been my experience. It's been like, you stop crying. You, you fall down, scrape your knee. Nobody's gonna come and rub your back. You gotta get up and go. And that's not very sustainable if we wanna build um, a future for our kids to, to thrive in to, uh, neighborhoods. Like I envision a future where your kids, their kids, our kids can literally walk in a neighborhood and you know that they're taken care of that there are safe men out there. There are safe women out there. You don't have to worry, oh, the streetlights are on. Let me get my kid inside before something bad happens. So for me, men's work is a space where we're setting the tone for having a safe community all around. And have that you, starts internally first. Sorry to cut you off there, Brendan. Um, have you found it, it difficult to infiltrate that um that group because like you said there is that um sort of air of you know um vulnerability is not sexy so how have you found actually being able to get into that group and and get those those people sort of coming to you to take part in this mm, that's a beautiful question um for me i don't infiltrate i don't go in i just literally attract them because just my background alone in sports and being um being a, a larger man frame um and i'm still myself that's the biggest thing i'm very relatable so when i on social media if, if you see what i do on social media it's i'll do the meditation i'll do the breath work i'll do the cacao i'll do the, the heart expanding exercises practices but then i'll go and lift weights with my trainer mm -hmm. i'll go and yell some FUs and this thing. Like I, the, the way that I live my spiritual journey, it's not, a, it's not like white feathers and flower mandalas all the time. I'm all about, and I don't say balance, I'm just all about experiencing the full spectrum of what life has to offer. And so when it comes to these men, they look at me like I'm not just a regular yogi just sitting, you know, in Lotus. I'm, I'm, I'm out there, I'm, I'm, I'm in the street, I'm doing these things. So it becomes very digestible as well. And I'm, I grew up with hip hop, R&B, pop music, all these things. Like I, I can speak, I love the NBA, I love some sports. So when guys see me they're like, wait, you lead meditation, but you're also watching LeBron James on SportsCenter? Like what's, <laughs> what is this? So it's like normalizing that 
you don't have to be one way to be one way. Absolutely. And I think that is such an important message because spirituality sort of comes to different people in different ways. And there's no one right way, right? You know, the, the, the end goal, it doesn't matter really how you reach it, as long as you sort of, you know, are making progress towards it. Absolutely. And we see this just from just the example, the metaphors that life gives us. Like once, in, in my truth, it's once the sperm hits the egg in the reproductive process, this is the spiritual existence. It's like, it's not, oh, he's spiritual or she's spiritual. It's mm -hmm. like, hey, do, do, first of all, do you know the odds it takes for you to actually be here? Second off, it's like, we live on a planet with a fireball in the sky <laughs> that's up every morning. And we also have a moon and we have these things. We have all of this, everything is spiritual. A lot of us have been in this space where it's like, oh, that's religious, that's spiritual, and that's not, that's not. Mm -hmm. The fact that we're alive, this is a spiritual journey. And that's why I, just my existence is normalizing that for people. It doesn't have to be this whole like big, straight on, full on ceremony. It's, it's just being here and, and having an open heart. That's the journey. Absolutely. Now, I just want to understand sort of the process that you go through in one of your sort of sacred masculinity sessions. What does a group look like? What do you do? Yeah, it, it all, it's the same work through and through, um, varies whether it's virtual or in person, but the basis of it is just emotional vulnerability. And we go through deep, you could say shadow processes as we hear a lot of people talking about shadow work, talking about catharsis. We go through these processes where we allow men to be in that space and, and not be judged, which is the, the secret sauce. It's you can be how you want to be. You can feel how you want to feel. And I, we, we're not, not going to judge you mm -hmm. because we all have experienced what you have experienced in some form of another and vice versa. So in these experiences, it's, it's literally hanging out with other dudes, knowing that, oh, we're actually, we experienced the same stuff. We experienced sexual shame. A lot of men were sexually molested. A lot of men experience all these things. They got their hearts broken by women as well. It's, we, we hear more culturally about the flip side of it, of about a lot of um, penetrative energy, which has been the case with, we can say with the patriarchy and things have been a lot of penetrative energy, a very unsafe for the feminine. I, I get that. But the men who come into the space, a lot of them just don't know how to act in this kind of world with so many mixed messages. What do I approach this beautiful woman? But if I do, she might think I'm trying to come on to her, but this and that. So we just normalize a space of, hey, just whatever you do, you do it with a ground, with grounded feet and an open heart and express yourself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I just wanna sort of move away from what we were just talking about then to talk about your cacao and breathwork um, ceremonies. What, what is that all about? Tell me. Yeah, a lot of people I get is like, I, I love cacao so much. So, <laughs> um, and just warning you, I can speak for two and a half weeks on this straight without taking a breath. So, all right, well, <laughs> let's, let's condense that just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so cacao, it's, 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 it's the tree. It's a beautiful tree and it's grown in all over the world. And notably, um, very indigenous tribes have used it. Um, it goes back to like most, Famous, it's um, the Mayas <clears throat> and the Incas. 
they use the, the, the cow as, a, as an elixir. Um, it was part of their diet, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, it goes back to even 5,000 years ago with a tribe in Ecuador called <clears throat> the, um, the Omex. And they found a compound that's in actual cacao in clay pots that date to about 5,000 years old. And cacao, let's get this straight for you listeners as well, because I know you probably hear a lot about it. I went to a cacao ceremony or dark chocolate, 80%, 90%, 82.6%, whatever this is. Um, cacao is, is just chocolate, the beans from the cacao pod, and they're roasted, ground it up, and made into a paste block. And then you have it like that, and you drink it. It's very bitter, very nutritionist, and also, it's, it's not a psychedelic, although it has psychoactive properties. So when people drink it, they experience this like nirvonic euphoria type of feeling. And it's not like a big trip. Um, when people hear um, chocolate is an aphrodisiac. At the root, chocolate is an aphrodisiac when it's in its purest form. Now the store-bought stuff, this is not cacao. They, they ha it, has, it's, it starts off as cacao but highly, highly processed. Like I'm talking like um, Cadbury's, all the Halloween, Valentine's chocolates. It's all highly processed. And most of all of them have had the naturally occurring cacao butter stripped out of it. Um, a lot of stuff just taken out of it. So what I do with cacao, it's, it's, it's made for expansiveness. So with men in particular, I, we, we drink this beautiful drink and we'll go through meditations, we'll go through inner child work, we'll go through um, breath work. It's amazing with breath work, it's amazing with yoga, it's amazing with a lot of these things. It's very um, introspective. So like I say with everything, it's, it's cacao is not end all be all, as nothing is, but it's a beautiful tool for the shed. Yeah, absolutely. So can people do this sort of cacao ceremony alone or is it something they have to go and see someone for can they even buy the cacao in this in this form um i have resources on my page where you can buy sustainable cacao um, i'm very 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 um pro buying from direct trade we hear a lot about oh it's fair trade so it's good to be honest a lot of um a lot of child labor is is, is intertwined with with fair trade stuff and a lot of people don't know this. With cacao, it literally comes from a family, whether it be the one that I work with the most is from Guatemala. It's women's collectives. It comes right from their, their family farm, their family forest, if you wanna say. Mm -hmm. And Google search, you can find it, but I, I highly recommend direct trade. And as far as the cacao ceremony in itself, yes, it could be, it could be done on its own. Somebody first timers looking for it, I always, always recommend you go find a cacao ceremony or you do some research or you find out just what it's about because we also live in a day of appropriation and we wanna make sure that we're very, very, very careful on how we represent these plant allies because um, they're very sacred. So yes, it can be done on its own because it's, I, I drink it every day. Some days I put it in, I don't drink it. Some days I'll just make, I'll put it in my oats, uh, muesli and I'll just eat it like that because it's very nutritious, it's high in magnesium, iron. Um, it's, it's amazing. So yes, the, the whole process of a cacao ceremony can be done solo um, with meditation. You just add it into what you're already doing and it's a beautiful practice.
absolutely and it's interesting you say that you you add it to you know other things in your life your the oats and all those kinds of things I from from talking to you I feel like you're a very intentional person with what you do anyway but do you do anything special when you're just adding it to other things do you take in that sort of ritual and that practice um when you're doing that yeah um whether I'm lighting a candle or lighting a little bit of Palo Santo or rubbing frankincense in my hands um I'm always speaking into the cacao as if it's 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 my partner it's my life partner it's 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 a lover this is what i'm doing it's i'm putting the intention into it just how you speak somebody would speak life into their child you speak life into a plant it's like you're you're growing these things so when i'm preparing cacao no matter what it is i'm putting my intention into it and i also do this with my with any meal that i eat as well i put my hands over it i i shoot up my my shock the energy <laughs> okay la woo there i shoot that into my food because it's all about it it's all about intention and so yes i do that with cacao it's like you're you're um i know you're gonna do what you're gonna do with me whether i eat you or i drink you mm-hmm. and uh don't worry about the woo we love the woo here <laughs> <laughs> um so I want to move on to some community questions that we got because we put it out to our community um, to ask you some questions. And um, quite a few of them are about breath work, which sort of this kind of leads us uh, nicely on. Um, but one is actually about reaching that state of nirvana, and it kind of links to what we were just talking about with the cacao. So um, this question is, can we enter a state of nirvana without psychedelics using just breath work? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the first time I ever experienced um, an energy orgasm was through breath work. Yeah. And an energy orgasm for you first time listeners is actually what it sounds like. It's an orgasm through like chill energy in your body without the physical aspects to it after. And I reached that state by breath because breath put me in this, this very... Um, expansive state. Uh, one, biologically through the body, which anytime we pump this much oxygen, our bodies are just going to be like, what the hell? This is amazing, but also, wow. So it's going to put us in this state. But yes, anytime we're doing intentional breathing, we can reach that state. We don't have to, you don't have to take plant medicines. You don't have to drink a cow. You don't have to do psychedelics. You don't have to. We, you know, it's, those are beautiful tools. As I said, for your tool shed, but breath is a thing that's literally the most ancient technology. If we didn't have breath, we're done. Like right now, we can, what is it, a week you go without water, you die, and food two weeks. But breath, you can't go longer than a few minutes and you drop down. So yes, we can, you can attain that type of feeling with intentional breathing. So let's just think about like, what is Nirvana then? Because, you know, we, we've thrown that word about um, a few times during this podcast. So is, is the energy orgasm your sort of indicator that you have reached Nirvana or what, what does it feel like? My Nirvana is peace. And however that looks, that's my personal Nirvana and it looks different for everybody else. And I can feel that from putting my toes in the ocean right outside. I can feel that from at the end of a workout. I can feel that from drinking cacao. I can feel that from a beautiful conversation with somebody. 
I see Nirvana not as a destination, but as an experience, mm. as something I'm experiencing right now. And I feel this is the same for everybody. And we all get to have what our version of Nirvana is or what it might be, but it's not an end all be all. It's not like this seeking enlightenment thing, because I feel once somebody is seeking enlightenment, you're never going to find it. You just can't, you got to be enlightened you can't seek it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's this catch 22 kind of thing, but Nirvana, I feel it's, it's, it's what you feel it is because say for you, it could be you hanging out with your family. That's Nirvana for you. You love it so much. You love them. Somebody else is different. Absolutely. And, and I, I, I love this because I was, I was actually just, this is a random story, but I was actually just reading a book and called how to be fine and for anybody listening this is the the book club um book number one on our book club so get reading it um so um i was reading how to be fine and this book is all about how the the, the authors read 50 self-help books and this book is all about um you know what they what they saw that helped them but they also acknowledge the fact that these things help them but they're not necessarily going to help other people so what i'm trying to get at is there's no one size fits all. There's no, this is the right way. This is the wrong way. This is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. So with that, I'm quite interested to, to talk about how would I know that I'd reached Nirvana? You know, is it, is it something that you're like, okay, now it's clicked or is it something that you have a realization of, oh, wow, that was Nirvana or I, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's for, for me and my experience, it's, it's contentment. Mm -hmm. It's, I have a really full schedule with, with uh, work commitments, with podcasts, Instagram lives, collaborating with different people. But yet it's, it's this thing that when you, when you, when you, when I experience it, it's like those moments, like, let's say you go on a camping trip with your family on a Friday and then you take a nap for 10 minutes and it's already Sunday Arvo and you got to, you're leaving. It's like, where did this time go? <laughs> Ultimate presence to me is Nirvana. That's, 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 that's a Nirvana. That's a Nirvana. And I'm always going to say peace is pleasure. Peace is the ultimate pleasure. Peace is Nirvana. And however that manifests in your life, as long as it's not hurting, hurting anybody else, putting anybody else at a detriment, you get to create what Nirvana is for you, but there's no end all be all. Like I always say, you, you, you have tools for your tool shed and the same thing with experiences with Nirvana. Mm -hmm. Now, the next question we've got is about sort of your, your cacao. And I know we've spoken a bit about this, um, but it's about the origins of it. And we were actually talking before we started the podcast about the fact that you were in Guatemala um, before, because you're currently in Mexico, where uh, you were in Guatemala before. So were you there because you were at the farms or you were visiting these families who produced it? Yes. Um, I first went to Guatemala several years ago for cacao. And, um, and that's when my journey began with it, where I was drinking it almost every day um, for the last what, five years, mm -hmm. six years. And this past trip, I, I went down there. There's an amazing brand called um, Keith's Cacao. And they're, right, they're situated on Lago de Atilan, Lake Atilan in Guatemala, up in the mountains. And in that area, it's around volcanoes and it's the cacao is grown there, they're trees. And these cacaos, they're not farms either. It's amazing. It's literally like somebody's backyard. You walk out and it's just wild trees everywhere. They don't add fertilizer. They don't add 
any kind of chemicals. It's just the season, cacao, pick it, boom, there it is. It's very special, very special. And I was in Guatemala because um, Keeps Cacao invited me out to lead a breathwork and cacao ceremony for their cacao retreat. And it just so happened that the whole world situation happened and I just stayed there for four months, which I wasn't complaining because you know, that's <laughs> that energy of that place. And you know what's odd? Well, it's, it's not odd, it's actually really even, is that I didn't drink cacao that much when I was there. But when I'm not there, I crave it more. That's, that's cool, isn't it? And, Do you uh, feel like it's yeah, because it's you were really around cool. the energy of it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's 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 the it's the spiritu, as they say, the spiritu, the the energy of the place. It's it was fulfilling me. That's why I'm very intentional with this drink. And also that's why I don't feel every cacao is the same, even though a spirit doesn't discriminate. Nobody can own a spirit ever. However, I just feel like from the land energetic properties, the volcanoes, the, the rich culture, I feel different cacaos have a different energy imprint mm -hmm. on things. And, I, and it's definitely true to me from Guatemalan cacao. It's such an interesting concept because I haven't really come across anybody who does this sort of cacao um, ceremony before. Um, I'm definitely going to look into it for myself. I feel like every every time I have a podcast, our listeners are like, oh, Rose, you're going to do another thing. But honestly, like you pick up so many different things. And I think that's the important thing about, you know, spirituality. You can try different things until we find something that works for you. Spirituality is a buffet and you just pick what you <laughs> want to put on, put it on your plate, whatever you want. Want trimmings, you want dessert first, go have dessert first. You don't want it? Okay. Let's I love start. that. I, I feel like I need that quote on my wall. Spirituality is a buffet. <laughs> <laughs> but don't indulge though, because that's the opposite of spirituality. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. So um, the next question is, is there an easy hack for incorpor incorporating mindfulness into my daily busy routine? Yeah, super easy. Um, I love this one. Anytime throughout your day, you touch a doorknob or a handle, you take a deep breath, a deep belly breath, like not from your nose where you just lift up your diaphragm and you breathe into your lungs. I'm talking like, like umbilical cord type of breath where you're like expanding your belly out to receive nutrients from, from um, the ethos. <sighs> Anytime we touch a coffee pot handle, touch a doorknob, your car handle, that's your cue to take a deep breath. And you're always touching things. So let's say by the end of the day, you touch 50 things, that's 50 deep mindfulness breaths a day. And that's at a minimum, you touch way more things than that. So that's my biggest hack, simple hack that I give most people. I love that. Train yourself to touch something and then take a breath. Yeah, that's so powerful because it's a tangible thing, right? You, like, it's almost like a, a reaction. And is that something you do every day? Yes, I, I breathe, I mean, all the time anyway, I take deep breaths. So like I, I also have, it's another one, I have alarms on my phone that randomly go off that say, okay, it's time to breathe. And I'm like, oh crap, I've been working for two hours. I've been taking short breaths. <sighs> okay, I'm back. Check my posture, check all that, I'm good to go. So reminding myself, it's, it's we got our program. We're, we're, let's just face it, we're all, we're robots. Mm -hmm. we, we thrive on programs, that's just who we are. Mm -hmm. I know it, it feels funny, but we are this organic AI that, um, that we get to program all the time. Yeah. I've got two more questions. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you this one question. I feel like it's going to open a huge can of worms. So let's just see how we go. And then I'll finish on a question that brings us back to sort of men and spirituality. So this question is what is Tantra? 
And then they, they put a cheeky LOL because I feel like they've got a little bit of a clue. She said, I have no clue. It sounds so interesting and mysterious. And what exactly is it and what does it help us with? Yes. So what Tantra is not, it's not sex-based. Mm -hmm. Tantra is the deepest introspection you might face in your life without taking any type of plant medicines or anything. Tantra is a lifestyle. Tantra is nervous system nurturing. Tantra is not looking at both sides of a story. It's looking at all 10. This is what Tantra is and it's an active practice. Yes, there are sex practices you do with yourself, with a partner. That's where the white Tantra comes in and then the red Tantra. All the difference is, is white Tantra is you're practicing with yourself adornment practices, intimacy. And then red tantra is just the same thing. White tantra, white tantra, you come together, you make red tantra and you're, and you're doing sacred practices. Mm -hmm. So yes, tantra, it's, it's a lot of things, but what it's not, it's not just about sex. And I feel that's where modern day society thinks that it is and it isn't. It's, it's a state of being, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's you, you think about the thoughts behind the thought, behind the thought, and you stay neutral to it. That's a, that's a beautiful explanation. And you're so right in that, you know, society has taken this word and, and, and added the sexual connotations to it, um, which is why I think this person's like, LOL, I have no clue, cheeky. Cheeky. <laughs> yeah. So um, with Tantra then, how does somebody, is, is it all about the breath work? Um, breath is, to me, not the most important, but it's the most important. Yeah, um, because it's, it's moving energy in your body and it's, it's keeping your equilibrium in a, in a state where you can actually um, be responsive and not reactive. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, so one final question, and this is my question. Um, it's a short question, but I'm gonna put some explanation behind it. What would you say to men? And when, when I say this, I mean, what would you say to men who are thinking, you know, they, they need something in their life, but they're not necessarily sure what. What would you say to the people who are thinking about edging into spirituality but are embarrassed? What would you say to men who, um, you know, who, who are kind of lost in life? <laughs> Big question. <laughs> um, for men, I would ask them a question. I would say, what are you waiting for? And how do, you, how do you want to feel? Those are the two questions I would ask them. Because for me, a lot of men were generally, we're on this, uh, this path of, of, of seeking, seeking purpose, seeking meaning. Um, we see a lot when men, let's say, lose their jobs. It's like, oh, they go on this downward spiral a lot of these things happen. So I would just pose those two questions. How do you want to feel? Because once you're clear on how do you want to feel, any kind of shame, embarrassment, vulnerability starts to melt away because you're so, so committed to feeling a certain way and allowing this grace to come into your life. I think that's so powerful. That was such an awesome way to, to answer such a huge question. Um, and on that, Brennan, thank you so much for being on the Numerologist podcast. It's been an absolute delight to speak to you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I love you all. Thank you for listening to this as well. I really appreciate it.
Bye, Brennan. Thank you for listening to the Numerologist Podcast. If you loved it, make sure you subscribe and don't forget to check the show notes for an extra special free gift.